Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. We're studying the book of James this month. It is an awesome book, and I want to read the first verse of the first chapter for you, then we're going to get into it. In James chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Look at someone and say, greeting. We don't really talk like that anymore. What, what, what is the most common greeting in Jacksonville, Florida, metropolitan area? Sup. I look at somebody and say, sup. Pray with me, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being willing to greet us. We greet you now, and we welcome you into this place, and we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. God, I pray that you'd anoint me to say what you'd have me to say. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear you today. Encourage your children. God, speak your word to us. And be our teacher is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Studying this book of James this month, I hope you read it. It's 108 verses. It's a quick read, but it is an awesome book. And I'm going to do something different this morning than my typical Sunday morning preaching message. Here's what you should look for if you ever move or just decide you hate my guts and want to leave abundant life, look for a preacher that reads a text and then goes back to that text and talks about it. That's what real preaching is. When, when somebody skips around all the time, pulling a verse here, pulling a verse there, doesn't stay inside the text, they may be manipulating you. They may be taking a verse here and a verse there. You could take a little verse here and a little verse there and make up any type of madness in the world. That's why there's so much confusion and heresy in the church today. But I'm going to stray from my typical expository preaching, which is to go inside the verse and let it say what it says inside the text that God gives me. Because I just want to let you learn some things this morning about James. I think it's important that we learn what the Bible has to say to us, you need to fall in love with this book. This book is different than any other book. This book says of itself, it's a living book. And you need to let this book speak to you. So it's going to be more like a Bible study. It's going to be more like a Wednesday night Bible study tonight, this morning. But I want you to lock in and get something. So in typical Bible study format, I'm going to throw some questions at you. On Wednesday night, for those of y'all that don't come, you get to talk. Many times it's open discussion, interactive format. Let me throw some Wednesday night Bible study type stuff at you. Who wrote the book of James? All y'all just passed the first 60 hours of an unaccredited fake Bobo Bible college. If you answer one more question correctly, these fake Bobo Bible colleges in Jacksonville to which the majority of preachers are putting Dr. So-and-so on their church sign because they have a non-accredited degree from Bobo side of the road Bible college, all you got to do is answer one more question right and you can be a doctor from fake Bobo unaccredited Bible college. 
You got to work a little bit harder to get a degree from Liberty University. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about. But uh, I'll let you get your fake doctorate degree right now because the the, the doctor so-and-so up the street got his for answering two questions. Who died on the cross and rose from the dead? There you go. Doctor so-and-so. And And real Bobo, doctors so-and-so. Keep living. All right, here we go. Who wrote the book of James? James. Okay, now, which James? All right, let me, let me see you. I, I, I will give you a double doctorate. I will Bobo fake Bible college you a doctorate in theology and a doctorate in biblical studies. How, how many Jameses are there in the New Testament? I'll make it easier on you. How many Jameses are in the 12? Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, his brother John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, and Bartholomew. How many Jameses we got in the 12? Okay, so was it Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, his brother John? So was it James, the brother of John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, or was it James, the son of Alphaeus? Neither one. There was a James the less in the Bible, and then there was a James the elder in the Bible. James the elder was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. So we either have to pick James the brother of John, James the son of Alphaeus, James the less, it's never that guy, or James the elder. Anybody want to take a guess? James the elder, the half-brother of Jesus. He's actually Jesus' oldest half-brother. Anybody want a bonus question? Uh, how many how many half-brothers does the Bible tell us Jesus had at a minimum? Four, triple doctorate degree, uh, a master's in divinity, uh, a, a THD, a PhD, an LLDS, and I throw in a jurisprudence so you could tell everybody you're a lawyer and give out fake law advice. You think I'm kidding? Go to Bobo Bible College. Go to Jacksonville dot, 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 theological whatever because there are no accredited Bible colleges in Jacksonville. Okay, you see somebody with a Jacksonville Bible College degree, you know for $400, you can go on there and answer their doctorate questionnaire. And if you fill out your name, date of birth, and address, and your payment clears the bank, they send you papers. So, I mean, if they can give them away, I can give them away. Just tell everybody your THD, PhD, LDDS, MDC, MDiv, and Doctrine of Jurisprudence, if you got that last question right. All right, let me throw another one at you. Anybody know why James might have a real beef with Jesus? Anybody got any idea? James had beef with Jesus. Anybody know why? Per, it was an older brother. He was a, Jesus was the older brother. How many people got older siblings? I got an older sibling. She's in the room. My only living sibling is in the room. She's older than me. All right, and so I, I can talk about this. Um, if you have an older sibling, you got to live up to their rep. Now, if their rep's bad, that's good on you. 
I mean, if they was if they were slimy and schemy, if they were creeping all the time, if, if they were incarcerated the majority of their life, well, you know, as long as you did okay. But see, my sister was the head cheerleader. She was the head flag girl. She was in the National Honor Society. She was in the gifted program. She was she was the president of her class. She was my mom's favorite. Where's mommy here today? I had that in there just for my mom's birthday today, 75 years old. Thank God for mothers. Amen. Can we do that? I was going to make her stand up under the power of God's Holy Ghost and confess that Dina is her favorite. You listening on tape, redheaded woman? Trust. If your older sibling was perfect, you know you just want to throat punch him. How are you going to live up to Jesus? How, how are you going to deal, deal with, with Jesus never, never, never doing anything? thing wrong. I'll get to more of that in a minute, but we, we see in the Bible that Joseph's name is never mentioned in Jesus' adult life. I got no more degrees to hand out to y'all, but anybody remember who Joseph is? The earthly father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the dude. Now listen, this is the greatest faith dude in the Bible. I don't care who you, what you think. Anybody ask you who had the most faith in the Bible outside of Jesus? You tell them Joseph, because Joseph believed his girlfriend was pregnant by God. They're not hearing me. Dude, if your woman comes up pregnant and y'all have never had sex and she said, God did this to me, and you believe that, there's something special about you. Something special about you. But Joseph is never mentioned. So most theologians believe that Joseph had already died. And with Jesus in full-time ministry, James was left to be the man of the house and take on responsibilities that, that weren't rightly his. And here's another reason James had beef with Jesus. Or James had to take on these responsibilities. Another reason James had beef with Jesus is if you read the Gospels in the end of John... When Jesus is dying on the cross, he says, Mother, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. And from that day forward, John took Mary into his home and cared for her. Jesus stripped James away from being able to care for his own mother. Jesus, the oldest brother who had responsibility over his widowed mother, decided, and when he made that speech, if you study the formality of that speech, you'll find out that oral contracts, as they are now, are just as binding as written contracts. And Jesus was making a verbal contract between John and Mary. He stripped legally the right to James and gave it to John. Anybody want to go for the bonus round and tell me why did Jesus take Mary away from James and give her to John? He was there. That's why we pay her on staff right there, because she listens to the preacher. Tell me what you said. James was unsaved. Now, would you rather have a saved person? I mean, if you're the Messiah, would you rather have, if you're just you and me, would you rather have a saved person looking out for your loved ones or a lost person? 
Would you now see? Not only was James a non-believer, James mocked Jesus. We're gonna see that in a little bit. James had beef on Jesus. James did not believe anything Jesus had to say, and Jesus was not about to trust his mother into the hands of his beef-having brothers. All right. Let me get into some real quick facts. Uh, the whole family. Anybody? Let's go family trade. The family trade of Joseph, Jesus, and these four dudes? Carpenter. Anybody know what the word carpenter comes from? The original word carpenter is carpenter. Carpenter. That was how it was originally spelled in the Old English because they wanted you to know what a carpenter really did. Now, let's go for the bonus round. Do, 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 do. Ba, na, 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 ba, ba, na, na. Here is the bonus round. What do you think a carp carpenter makes most of out of wood? I got no more degrees for y'all. Y'all too smart. So this was a family that made carts. Okay, blue-collar family, hard-working family. They're carpenters. I already told you, James was the oldest half-brother of Jesus, unsaved, prior to the resurrection. We'll see it in a little bit. John 5, 7, 5 says his brother didn't believe in him. He went on to be the first pastor of the church at Jerusalem, the big church, the largest church in the first century, the church that made all the rules. James was the first pastor of the first and only megachurch in the first century, the church at Jerusalem, who scholars say, had at times up to 20,000 people traveling to visit it. They, they called this James, of the other James we talked about, they called this James, James the Just. Man, when you say all the stuff James had to say, if you've read through this book yet, you realize this dude was hardcore. This dude was in your face. If this dude pastored a church in America today, this is about how many people he'd run. Because he didn't pull any punches. And if you want to run a big church, you got to pull some punches. If you, he didn't stand at the door and hug necks and kiss babies. He didn't politic. He, di, he didn't say stuff people wanted to hear. He told the truth because the truth's the truth what? Anyhow. And this is the kind of guy that he was. He, he, they called him camel knees. Now, bonus round. Why do you think they would call a man camel knees? If you look at a camel, got big knots and calluses on the knees. Why would this man deserve the, the, the title or the nickname Camel Knees. Prayed a lot. This that, listen, this is that, this is Grandmama Nim's pastor. Y'all remember Grandmama Nim pastor? Mr. Holy, scare you to be around him. Always pray and do. This, this, was, this was the guy, that great grandmama's pastor. Think that guy. Think great, great grandmama's pastor. This, this was a holy man who was always praying. They called him the just because he didn't, he didn't play around. They called him Camel Knees because he was always praying. They called him James the Elder. I ain't even going to let you guess on this one because you won't get it. But they called him James the Elder just so they can bust the other James up and call him James the Less. Oh, How would you like to be that? Now, we have had in our church, we've had, a, we, we've had White John and Black John. We've had White Mary and Black Mary. Now, that, that, that's just for distinction, and, and, and so people know. White people always get tense when I say anything to do with black people. I'm going to remind y'all, everybody know. You, the, everybody, whatever color they are around you, they knew what color they were when they came in this building. I just didn't set anything in order right there. I'm just saying we had distinctions in this church. We, we, well, we got 
listen, we got a man named Stacy and a woman named Stacy. You got to have differentiations when you have people of the same name. So when they started calling James the elder, they started calling the other dude James the less. That don't sound friendly, does it? It just is what it is. Now you're learning something about James. You're going to learn something in the church today because we're going to do a lot of Bible study. Dude was in your face, holy, praying, but he also had the humility not to pull rank and identify himself as the Lord's brother. Look back in our text in verse 1. He says, James, a servant of God. How about that for a title? He didn't say apostle. He didn't say pastor, founder, evangelist, reverend, right reverend. He didn't say prophet. He didn't say any of those things. You meet these people today and they start telling you who they are and, and, and titling themselves up. You need to think, wow, pastor of the largest church in, in the first century where, where there was real power. Just said, he, I'm servant of God. People don't really want that title. You see, because that title involves serving. That title involves having a towel. And people in today's world would rather have a title than a towel. This man was willing to, to just to be humble. He didn't say, I'm the Lord's brother. He didn't say, I know him better than you. He didn't say, I'm the pastor of the big church. He said, I'm a servant of God. And I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he addresses his letter to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad. This was the early church moniker for Christians of the dispersion. Christians who have traveled outside or away from Jerusalem. People who had moved out from the hub of this new religion that Jesus had set in order. And it went on to include not just the 12 tribes, but believers from every ethnic background and every cultural group. These letters are different from the letters that Paul wrote that we call the Pauline epistles or the pastoral epistles. These are called the universal epistles. If you look up the, the book of James, it's called a universal epistle because it's written to all Christians. If it's written to all Christians and you call yourself saved, guess who it's written to? All right, so if you're here and you're saved today, this is a word of the Lord for you. Jesus got another half-brother that wrote a book in the Bible. What's his name? Jude. I told y'all y'all going to learn something today. Jude, half-brother Jesus, wrote the book of Jude. before the, At the end of the New Testament, before the book of Revelation, Jesus' other half-brother, Jude, did the exact same thing in his letter that James did in his letter. He didn't come in flashing and splashing, saying, check me out, I, 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 I grew up with the Lord, listen to me. He was humble. What am I trying to say? We need, if we really want to be who God wants us to be, there's got to be a certain level of humility. People mistake humility in 2017. Humility is not someone who's quiet, okay? Humility is not someone who's introverted. That's what people naturally think. They meet somebody who's loud and full flavor and, and expressive and dynamic. They automatically think cocky and arrogant. They meet somebody who's meek and, and well, not meek, but wimpish and, and, and soft and introverted, and they automatically think humility. A synonym for humility is meekness. And I've told you before, the word meek is what type of term? An equestrian term. What, what, what do equestrian terms deal with? Horses. The Greeks invented this word as an equestrian term 
to, to play off an old Hebrew word for what meek meant, and they said meek is, is an equestrian term, and they gave it the imagery of a strong horse, a stallion. Think big black beauty, black stallion. Stand, big rump, muscles just striations ripping down the leg. Anybody ever seen a muscled up horse? That's a beast of a creature right there. And this is what they said the real word meek should be viewed as. Strength under control. A strong horse standing still. A strong horse not flexing out. So I'm going to tell you something. I've told you before, I want you to understand. Wimpish dudes cannot be meek. Wimpish dudes can't even really be humble because humility and meekness are tied together. And meekness is not about being wimpish and soft. Meekness is about being hard as bricks but not choking anybody out. Can anybody say amen? Okay, so you want to find a really meek dude? Find me somebody that could choke you out but choose not to. Deacon West is a meek man. All right, you still got three moves, right? You can take any one of these guys out, trust me. All right, meek man. He, I, I've told my kids, I guarantee you this, I've been in more physical fist fights than, than, than Deacon West will ever get into. Why? Big, strong dude like that, he ain't got to press his way on nobody. Nobody's stepping up. And listen, he changed his name. He, he's letting us call him something different. When he grew up down there in Central, this, this brother was named Jamal. Anybody ever known a Jamal? Jamal would choke you out. Okay? But that is a... I didn't mean to... You were all right? You still love me? I'm sorry. Rewind that and forget that. I wasn't supposed to say that. Nixon knew. <laughs> See, he said it's all good. You know why? Because that's what meekness is. That's what meekness is. James... And Jude had a meekness about them. They did not lower their authority over anyone. And we need to be those type of believers. Let me see what else I can tell you about James before we get into where we're going. He was stoned to death. I don't mean on we. Y'all are laughing already. He got stoned. My boy. No, he was killed. He was martyred. He was as most of the early apostles were martyred, as most of the early church leaders were martyred. And this is why I wonder, when I hear these radio preachers and these TV preachers talking about, God got your Cadillac on the front line. God about to move you in by the river. God got you a house that's so big that ain't nobody ever going to lack for a bedroom. I'm where do they come up with all this ease and grease and please when all the apostles and Jesus died horrific deaths? You're saying, Pastor, you want to die? Listen, I, I, hey, I believe first, if you get a chance to die for your faith, awesome way to die. Die for your country, awesome way to die. Get hit by a bus, standing there talking on your cell phone, not paying attention, not so much a great way to die. James had a resurrection appearance of Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I told you 108 verses in this little epistle, book, letter. Inside these 108 verses, this is how deep dude was, 22 
different Old Testament books are quoted in this one little New Testament letter. This guy knew the word. They didn't have New Testament to read in his day. They had Old Testament to read in his day. And he consumed the word because he understood it's better to spend your time reading the word than it is doing almost anything else. Not only 22 different Old Testament books are quoted in these 108 verses, 15 different references to the teaching of Jesus Christ are quoted. So he knew the Old Testament and he knew the teachings of Christ. We need to be like that. We ought to know what the Word says. Most people know what the pastor says. The pastor ain't smart enough for you to know what he says. He, he, he's not important enough for you to know what he says. He's not God. He's not divine. He's not special. He's not different than you. That's why I try to tell y'all I'm just like you. I am a human being with flaws and, 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 and faults and, and issues. I'm a sinful person just like you are. Stop getting freaked out when pastors end up on the front page of the paper caught in the strip joint. Now, you ain't going to catch me in the strip joint. I'm going to just say that right now. You'd be glad for that. You're not going to catch. Listen, that, that's not my thing. But people like, I'm never going back to church now. Pastor so-and-so was supposed to be a man of God. Listen, human beings are human beings. We need to know what the Word says. God said he's elevated his Word above his name. James knew the book, and we need to know the book. Let me give you a couple of things we need to learn. I said let's learn from James. Let me give you the first thing. First thing we need to learn from this book of James is that your family is watching you. And just because they haven't believed in Jesus yet does not mean that they won't. This got to be my longest point in 35 years of preaching. Your family is watching you, and just because they haven't believed in Jesus yet does not mean they won't. Now, the fact that you didn't scream, the fact that you didn't clap, the fact that you didn't shout, the fact you didn't run around speaking in tongues, the fact that you didn't throw money on this altar as, as a faith offering for God says you either didn't hear me or you're so enamored with that truth that you're paralyzed. Everyone in this room has unsaved family members. Everyone in this room has unsaved people that they care about. And they are watching you. And just because they haven't gotten saved yet doesn't mean that they won't. Have faith for your family. Have faith to believe that your spouse will be saved. Have faith to believe that your children will be saved. Have faith for your grandchildren. Have faith for your great-grands and, and children and all your family that, that you know of. Have faith and realize they're watching you. And just because they're not saved yet doesn't mean that they're not going to get saved. Let's, let's think about it. I asked you earlier, how hard must James' life been? Jesus is older, brother. Always having to live up to Jesus' reputation. What, what, what if you had an old, say I had an older sibling that was really close. Teachers, man, I tell you what, one year apart. Oh, you're little Scotty Becker. You, you must be Dina's brother. Uh-huh. Oh, she's just such a good student. She's just so quiet and studious, and I I'm just looking forward to three days into class, parent-teacher conference. I don't know what's wrong with your son, but uh, 
he, he's not performing up to his capability. And, and, and I know what type of family he comes from because I taught his sister and that kind of thing. But at least she wasn't perfect. Imagine James having an older sibling who never did anything wrong. That never lost an argument because he was always right. Always did the right thing, always said the right thing. Listen, who do y'all really think was Mary's favorite? All you fake parents in 2017 talking about, I love all my kids equally. I just, I just love my all equally. Maybe you do. But there's one that gets on your nerves. See, God is gracious. He wants you to know what the rest of us have to go through. So he'll give you a, 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 a sweet and compliant child, and he'll give you that other thing. Remember, you all know that other thing, right? Oh, but I love them all. Yeah, well, you love them all, but you want to choke one of them. Y'all know Mary had a favorite, and James knew Mary had a favorite. The one that never did anything wrong, never had an argument with his mother. Think about if you had a kid like that. It'd make, you, make the other one stand out, wouldn't it? Six other kids living in the house. Here's Jesus. Never did anything wrong. Why can't you be like your brother? What is wrong with you? Driving me crazy. Show him, Jesus. Show him. Do something miraculous. Why can't you do that? James had beef with, with Jesus. You know it'd make you sick. If your older sibling was like that, and then think about this. What if your older sibling started a brand new religion and told everybody that they were really God come down from heaven in the flesh and everybody need to bow down to your older brother and call him God? You are not going for that. You're like, hey, dude, hey, Jamal. Am I right? He started his own religion and said, everybody, including all y'all, all six of y'all, get on your knees and call me God. <laughs> James had beef with Jesus. And that's why James didn't end up with Mary. That's why John ended up with Mary because James, he didn't like his brother's religion. He didn't like his brother's religion. He was unsaved when Jesus died. He was not a follower of the teachings of Jesus Christ, and he had plenty of reason to have beef with Jesus, and he had plenty. But he was watching Jesus, even though he wasn't believing in him. He was unsaved all the way through Jesus' life. Jesus died with his closest brother in age to him, unsaved. Now, here's I'm going to tell you something, parents. But I don't want you to raise your hand because they might be in the room. If you have any unsaved person, even if you're not a parent, if you have any unsaved person living in your home, would it be okay with you? Because I know you want them saved. I know you're praying for them to be saved. What if you have to live your whole life perfect in front of them? What if you have to live your whole life as best you can, and you die with them still being yet unsaved, but you get to heaven, and before they check out, they find Jesus and they get saved? Is that going to be all right with you in the long run? Amen. Somebody ought to give God praise for that. Somebody ought to believe by faith that this is what can happen in the life of somebody. 
because this is what happened in the life of James. Listen to Matthew 13, 55. Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Now, we talk a lot, especially on Wednesday night, about hermeneutics, which is the art and science of properly interpreting Scripture. I try to teach you principles about how to make this Bible come alive and how to understand this difficult-to-understand book. And there are certain principles that will help you understand things and just be stuck, and you'll figure it out as you read it. One of those principles in theology is the law of priority listing. The law of priority listing. We use that on our ingredient list, on the back of food. On the back of a bag of jelly beans, what's the first ingredient listed? Why sugar? Because that's the predominant ingredient in that food. On the back of all your cleaning supplies, anybody want to guess what the first thing listed? Water. Because that's what that bottle's mostly filled up with. So we list things by priority. The Bible, most times, not all the time, but many times. List things by priority listing. So you got this list, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Here it is, Bible, theologians, brilliant Christian people. Which one of those do you think is the oldest? Which one do you think is the youngest? That's just how it goes. Now you know how to read the Bible with understanding when it comes to lists of things. I told you before, every time the 12 apostles are mentioned in the Bible, the first four are always the first four, and the last four are always the last four. Without variation, always there's a priority to this listing. So we see these brothers of Jesus kind of blows what they taught me. I was born a Catholic, and they talked to and prayed to Mary the perpetual virgin. And they really believed that Mary never had any other children. Well, we got right here in Matthew 13, 55, uh, we got Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Okay? Are y'all following that reading? Kind of sounds like she had five boys to me, Jesus and these four dudes. Closest one in age to Jesus would be James because Jesus had to be the oldest. Let's, why did Jesus have to be the oldest? Because she was a virgin when she had Jesus. Guess what happened after Jesus? You know, man, had James Taylor playing in the background, Lou Rawls, whatever she could find, Marvin Gaye. Let's get it on. I mean, she, hey. She was having babies. Some of y'all young people, get married first, then get busy having babies. Let's raise some Christians in the world. Verse 56 says, all his sisters live right here among us. Mary was getting busy. I mean, come on now. Maybe back then it wasn't so irregular. I, I mean, but you really want to see somebody who got a bunch of kids? What, what, name a state where there might be a bunch of children in one family. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, I'm talking about a regular state where, ain't, where one dude ain't got to be married to five women. Mississippi. Mississippi and Louisiana have the largest families in America. You know why? Farms. You know what you need on farms? Free labor. You know what having children gets you? Free labor. And so maybe, maybe back then it wasn't unusual, but if Jesus got four brothers... He's got multiple, all his sisters, Lord have mercy, all his sisters, got to be at least how many? Got to be at least two. 
I'd probably go with more because it said all and not both. Are you following me? So I'm probably going to say at least three, four brothers. So you got five boys and at least two, three girls. How many kids are we up to? Man, they need a cable TV. <laughs> I mean, they, they listen. You want? Hey, that's another reason people in Louisiana have lots of children. Let's see, my family's from Louisiana. I know what I'm talking about. You don't have cable TV. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta occupy your time somehow, don't you? I mean, no, you got no board games, you got no checkers, you got no no video games. You can't afford cable. Then 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 babies just seem to be regular. And babies were regular in Jesus' household. So stop believing these people telling you that Mary is an eternal virgin when we see she got all these boys and all these all these girls. And they said, living right here among us. And then here's what they ask. Where did he learn all these things? They're talking about Jesus. Where, he, he, come, he come out of that carpenter's family. Got all these, we know every brother and sister. He's got, that boy's from Avenue B on the north side. We know him. Y'all know Avenue B. That, that dude's off Firestone and Wilson, straight out of Sweetwater. They, they, Jesus was born in a lo- Nazareth. What they say? Can any good thing come out of that? That was the bottom. That's that's what that's what they call booger bottom. He lived on the on the bad side, and they knew they're like, who is he talking all this mess? We know his brothers, we know his sisters. Dude's a carpenter his whole life. Why? Because Jesus was not doing public ministry for the first 30 years of his life. He was busy preparing. He was busy getting things in order. He was busy making carts. And I, I'm so, I mean, I wish that the world would get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. I, I'm, I'm going to keep telling everybody, there is no blonde-haired, blue-eyed people living over in that part of the world. So this Jesus they got in movies, this long-haired, blonde, blue-eyed Jesus, there are no white Jesus ever, it, no possibility of no white Jesus ever. Don't hate. That's the reality. Go over to that part of the world. People are brown. They're different shades of brown all the way from light skin to dark skin. Jesus was somewhere in there. All the white people are mad. Got to go home and take down the Lord's Supper picture. Got to go to Gateway and buy one with black Jesus. That is hilarious. Y'all don't even hear me. That is hilarious. Go to Gateway. Man, I, hey, I bought one of my very first suits at Iceman on the stripping gateway. That used to be the hook. None of y'all remember Iceman? Y'all don't know? <laughs> See what I'm talking about? Old, old, old school cat. Original gangster. Hey, don't go to Gateway and buy that black Jesus. I'm an equal opportunity racial offender. Listen, there ain't no black Jesus either. Jesus, Jesus didn't have a big old picked out afro. Didn't have no fist in, in, in his pick and stuck in the back of his head. That, that came out, you know, that, he didn't look like nobody in Chicago. He, he, he wasn't African-American. He was dark-skinned. Listen, I want you to be able to love a God that doesn't look like you because he's bigger than you and better than you, and he don't have to be equal to us. We can't bring him down to our level just to worship him. So they said, we know you. We know your family. We know where you're from. You've come out this blue-collar, hard-working, blonde-haired, skinny Jesus. What are you talking about? This man built carts for a living. They did not have power tools back then. Hey, bring me that DeWalt. Bring me that skill saw. Bring me that circuit. It wasn't no circular saws then. 
They cut down trees and hauled trees, big pieces of grown man Jesus. You want to see a real picture of Jesus? Give me some brown-skinned dude. Give me some dude, uh, pr- probably about Nixon's shade. Give me some dude right at right. He just <laughs> meek Jesus. Strength under control. My Jesus was not an effeminate, sissy-looking dude with one trickle of blood coming down on him. Find a man who works with his hands. Grab that man by his hands and find out what what that man feels like. On the flip side, you want to feel the softest hands in the room? Shake the preacher's hand. It is what it is. I guarantee you, Jesus wasn't walking around with all this. Now, I'm cute and cuddly. He was ripped and running. They said, who are you? Say, where you learn all this stuff? You, you, you didn't go to college. You, you didn't have no Bible instructors. You didn't sit at the feet of Gamaliel like Paul did. Where, where are you getting all this stuff from? Verse 57 says, and they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. How heartbreaking must it have been for Jesus to know how real hell is and to know that his family didn't believe in him? How heartbreaking must it have been for Jesus to know? He said, I'm the only way to heaven, and any other way ends in death. How heartbreaking must it have been for him to know his family did not believe in him? It's hard to get your family to believe what you have to say. It's hard for Jesus. It's going to be hard for you. They're not going to hear you all the time. Why? Because here's what they're going to say. I know you. Leave that religion up there with your church friends. I know you. I know what you're like. I've been with you. Listen, they know a side of you, and they probably know the old you. But they don't understand the new you. They don't understand the side of you that loves Jesus more than anything else. Just because your family ain't saved don't mean that they ain't going to get saved. Jesus, Jesus didn't lead his family to Christ. How about that? How about that? You sitting here freaking out because you can't lead your children to Christ. Jesus couldn't lead his own family to Christ. And he's God in the flesh. He died. They did not believe in him. They honored him not inside his own family. It was an ordinary family. And the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. Mark 3.20 says this. One time Jesus entered a house. And the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Here's Jesus doing his thing. He's going around teaching, preaching, crowds gathering. Please understand this. Everywhere Jesus went, people flocked to him. Jesus was not a weirdo. The average Jesus freak in the world today, good title for them, weirdo. Jesus was a normal person that was a, a, a likable person. He was a type person that people wanted to listen to. He wasn't, he wasn't some weird person. No one came to listen to Jesus because he was good looking. That's what happens now. Here, here's a stat for you. Six foot one, 180 pounds. Do you know what that is? That is the 75% of all pastors who pastor churches over 2,000 people are six foot one and about 180 pounds. You know why? That's what America likes to look at. Well, you know, if somebody got to look at 5'9", 215, though, I mean, y'all are blessed for that. 
you know, so the, you know, at at two fifteen, I, I got more to offer than them, them them tall skinny preachers, but they look good in a suit. And that's what do you realize the the tall man wins the presidential race every time? That's what people want to look at. But the Bible says of Jesus there was no comeliness to his fashion. There was nothing good looking about him. People didn't come to Jesus because of the way he looked. He he didn't just have swag dripping off him. They didn't come to him for that's why people come to people now for swag and looks. They they want their pastor to be, ooh, people, people women staring in the pastor's mouth all the time. Men getting mad. Why are you looking in his mouth all the time? That's what people want now, but but people didn't come to Jesus for that. People came to Jesus because he was authentic. He was real. He was raw and telling the truth, and people liked that. The crowds flock into him. Now, that didn't mean they all bought into his message, because when he died, he only had 120 people following. But when he was alive, the crowds were gathering everywhere he went. And the Bible says soon his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. So here's Jesus working, been going, 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 going. Working, serving. Miracles, serving. Teaching, serving. Verse 21, it says, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. <laughs> his family didn't believe in him, but they still loved him. They knew he was out there and hadn't eaten in a long time, hadn't slept in a long time, working himself to death. And so they, they went to get him. They thought he was nuts, but they still cared enough to go get him. I want to tell you something. If you will live a real Christian life in front of your family, they may think you're nuts. They may not listen to your message. You may never see them come to Christ. You may, you may have to live what, what Dr. King lived and, 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 and died not seeing and what I've tried to live and will probably die not seeing. You, you, you may have to live a life where, where your greatest desire goes yet unfilled and you might not see it achieved in your lifetime. But if it happens before they die, if it happens in their lifetime, it'll be okay. And Jesus didn't, didn't see them come to Christ, but he lived an authentic message in front of them. And they, they, they knew what he was saying, and they still cared about him. Your family, it's okay if they think you're nuts. It's okay if they don't believe in your Jesus. It's okay if they don't get saved right now. It's okay if they don't follow God the same way you do, as long as you know they're watching you and you're living it for real yourself. The greatest compliment any lost person will ever give you as a lost person is, I don't believe what you believe, but I sure believe you believe it. Are you following me? They ought to know that you believe it, whether they believe it or not. And his family thought he was nuts. They said he's out of his mind. He's crazy. We got to go get him. But they still cared enough about him to care after him. And in Mark 3.31, the Bible says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. They still loved him. They didn't honor him, but they loved him. They didn't believe his message, but they loved him. They didn't believe in God the way he did, but he was living a life in front of them. We're called to be Christian. Stop freaking out because all your kids ain't saved. Stop freaking out because everybody you love ain't saved. And realize, Jesus didn't see it happen in his lifetime. You may not see it happen in your lifetime. Dr. King lived a whole life for a dream he didn't see happen in his lifetime. And he, God, I believe God told him it wasn't going to happen. If you listen to what he taught, he told you, I, I, I may not make it. I'm I, I probably gonna, not, not going to get on the other side. But Jesus didn't either. So, so why does it freak you out if everybody you love is not saved yet? you got to understand, you got to live real in front of them. And even if they think you're crazy, you got to keep living them and make sure they love you 
and they would come for you if needed. John 7, 5 says, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Even his brothers didn't believe in him. Your lost family members are watching you. And just because they're not saved yet doesn't mean they won't get saved. If James doesn't teach us anything, he teaches us that. And if you study scripture, you'll find out that all Jesus' family came to be saved. Don't miss that. All Jesus' family came to be saved. We call ourselves Christians because we want to live a life imitating who? Wouldn't you like to see that happen? All Jesus' family came to be saved. The Bible says believe, uh, repent and believe, believe and be baptized, and you'll be saved and all your children, all your household too. Jesus lived that out. Jesus believed in God. He believed in himself. He believed in resurrection. He believed that he died, would be buried, and that he would rise. He told people on the third day, I will rise again. He believed in a three-day resurrection, and he was baptized, and everybody in his house came to salvation. Try that plan on and, and see how that works for you. Listen to Acts. You say, well, how, how do we know? Well, listen to Acts 1.14. It's talking about the upper room after Jesus has died and rose from the dead. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. If you read that, and the brothers of Jesus in the original Greek, it, it, it intimates, because it's plural, that it's all of them, without exception. The brothers, without exception, believed in Jesus. Jesus got to see his whole family get saved, but not in this life. I, I've said it before. Listen, both my sons profess salvation. I thank God for that. If, for some way, if, if, if they don't truly have real salvation, I believe they do, but that's not between them and me, that's between them and God. If something were to happen and they stayed out of church for 35 years, that would pain my heart to watch. I would be ashamed and embarrassed. It would hurt me to see my children disrespecting God's word that way. But I'd rather they do that and come to Christ in the end than live in church and die and go to hell anyhow. Can you follow that much teaching? Just believe that yours are going to get there and have faith in that. His brothers were there in the upper room. Of the 120, we know for sure who five of them were. We know five out of them 120 was Mary and four brothers of Jesus. Second thing we can learn from James, just because you came to Christ later than others doesn't mean they'll always be your leaders. Man, I picked some really long, wordy points this morning. Just because you came to Christ later than others doesn't mean they'll always be your leaders. In life, typically the older you get, the more authority you have. In life, typically the longer you do something, the better you get at it because we have a natural progression chronologically. But natural chronological progression doesn't work in Christianity. Some people have been saved for 20 years and have never progressed in Christ. Some people have been saved for two years and have just been obsessed with Christ and consumed by God. We see this in the life of James. People have been saved way longer than him. He didn't follow Jesus at all like the other 12 did, but he was still an apostle. In Acts chapter 12, Peter's miraculously de delivered from prison. You read it later. And he tells his friends to go to James and the brethren. Law of Priority listing. He said, go to James and the brethren. Who's more important, James or the brethren? Because he's the boss. James has come out of a lifetime of unsaved, not following Jesus, to being in charge. 
you don't have to wait until you've been saved for two years, five years, 15 years to start living the gift that God has put in you. You don't have to wait till you've been around as long as, well, I, I'm new to the church and other people here before me. Listen, if they're not growing at the right rate, they're not going to advance to be as mature as you are. In life, we hope that at 10 years old, our children mature to the level of an average 10-year-old. At 20, at 30, at 40, we hope by the time men are in 50 to 60 years old, they stop growing up acting like boys. Uh-huh. And we hope there's a progression like that normal it doesn't work like that in christ it's all over the scale some people have been saved for 50 years have no christian maturity in them at all some people have been saved for a couple of months and are just fired up in love with jesus james was one of the newest christians in the first century yet he was the number one man on the entire planet in regard to christian authority and setting order paul submitted himself to james James was the largest leading recognized leader in the first century. Paul wrote half the New Testament because James was busy setting order and governance. James was busy being the leader. In Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas go to James to settle a question. People were asking them about circumcision. What should we do? Paul said, I don't know. Let's go talk to the big dog. Guess who the big dog was? They went to Jerusalem, and they asked James to settle the matter for them. And at your word, this is what we'll teach. Why? Because our religion is based on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And the chief apostle in the first century was this barely saved Johnny-come-lately, just came to Christ, hadn't been through what all the rest of them been through, James the Elder. In Galatians 2.9, listen to what happened. When James, Peter, and John, recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The Jerusalem apostles preached primarily to the Jews. Paul and Barnabas preached primarily to the rest of the world. That's why they went out on large missionary journeys. Now, Peter, James, and John... When you read Peter, James, and John in the Bible, it's usually talking about John, the brother, or, or James, the brother of John. This dude's already dead at this point in Scripture. That, that, that James is not even alive anymore. But you've never seen anybody's name in his list ahead of Peter's until now. Okay? So you got James, the elder, James, the half-brother of Jesus, Peter, and John. Guess which one of them's in charge? Because he's the one listed first. They recognized his pillars. They acknowledged the grace been given to Paul. They gave the right hand of Christian fellowship to me and Barnabas. Paul said, me and Barnabas. Guess which one Paul thought was the leader between him and Barnabas? If you read in the first half of the book of Acts, every time Paul and Barnabas are mentioned, it's Barnabas and Paul. But in the second half, every time they're mentioned, it's Paul and Barnabas. Why? Because it doesn't matter who's been around the longest. God elevates one. Put one up and take another one down. God said he's in charge of all authority. By him, kings rule and decree. It, listen, that's, that's why all y'all that didn't like President Obama, you, you, you had to recognize President Obama was the president because God said he'd be the president. The new president, God still knows what he's doing. Can we believe that? God said, I Set authority. I place one up, and I put another one down. Whether you are on top 
or on bottom. As long as you know God is moving you, as long as you know God's hand is on your life, you ought to be thankful for what's going on. And, and Paul is, is ahead of Barnabas right now, but, but James is ahead of Peter. P Peter could be mad. Peter could be like, I preach Pentecost. I'm supposed to be the pastor. I knew Jesus. I'm the one that defended him. And James would be like, hey, you're the one that denied him. I mean, you can always go back and forth and pick on the leader, right? You can always find something they did just to dog them out. But God sets authority, not how long you've been saved. Some of y'all have been saved a long time and still aren't using the gifts God has given you. Don't even know the gift you have. Not serving in any capacity at all. Some of y'all have been saved a shorter amount of time, and you feel like because you don't know as much Bible or you hadn't been in this church as long as some other people that you need to sit back. It ain't time for you to sit back. It's time for you to bypass slack-living Christians. Do you hear me? Bypass these slack-living Christians. Bypass these non-properly growing Christians. Bypass these non-progressing Christians. And, and, and let people know, Pastor, I, I, I love the Lord, and I want to do something for God. James recently saved. God put him over every body. Peter started out as a main man. Now James is first on the list. Remember, it doesn't matter who's been saved longest when it comes to leadership. It's incredible to me. I started pastoring this church. I was 38 years old. Founded this church with 16 people. Two of them on the back row right now. Where's your mama? Had to work. 16 people, a handful of kids. Michael Fash was one of them kids. Wave at everybody, Michael. Y'all look at Michael Fash. Michael Fash was one of them kids. Hey, believe this or not, 15 years ago, I picked Michael Fash up, full-scale body slammed him in, in the dirt wrestling. I used to get out there and wrestle. All, hey, he, was about this, he was about this big. <laughs> and I, <laughs> 15 years, a lot of things changed. I ain't trying to pick him up, body slam him no more. But things change. And, and, and it does. It, we, we started this church, I was 38 years old, and I had people who'd been saved longer than I was old. I still got, I got people in this room been saved longer than me. There are people who've been saved, done more in life than I've done. People in this room been saved longer, done more, and lived better than I've lived. But God decides who to put in position of authority. That's why you better be careful talking about God's leaders. That's why you better be careful talking about who God puts in authority in city, local, state, federal government. That's why you better be careful bad-mouthing preachers because God puts one up and takes another one down. Well, what are we supposed to do when we're tired of you? Pray God to take me down. The Bible says that when the elders were placed in the first century that the people committed them to God. That's all you got to do. Commit me to God. Trust God to check me. People are like, well, I think you need to tell God about it. God is bigger than me. God is bigger than every pastor in this world. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. You need to get on with it because some of y'all ought to be leading some stuff. Some of you younger Christians ought to be leading some stuff. Push some of these old slack-living Christians out of the way. So, some of y'all, you think you don't have the right look. 
You think you ain't been around long enough? You think you don't know enough? That's just the kind of person God wants to snatch up and make the greatest Christian that ever lived. You think that your background and, and the life you live is, is, is dark and, and, and evil and shabby? That's just the kind of person that God is looking to grab up and glorify himself through. God wants to take somebody that nobody else would. He took David out of all them sons, and, and, and he made the smallest, youngest one be the king. God is looking for an unusual leader, and I want you to consider leading something in your lifetime. Third last thing, it's, imp- it's more important to play a good game than to talk a good game. <laughs> James knew what he was doing. James didn't have to talk a good game because James played a good game. It's more important how you live than what you say. Listen, I'll blow up all churches right here in one, in one statement. It's more important how you live Monday through Friday than where you park your car on Sunday at 11 o'clock. A lot of people parking their car in church on, on 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, but not living nothing Monday through Friday. They're talking a game as opposed to living a life. The book of James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's, it's a very practical book. It's like the book of Proverbs because it has one-liners, bullet points, throat punches, gut shots. It has stuff in there that, that you can't say amen to. You just have to say ouch to because you know that's you. It, James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves this is james james looking at a bunch of people saying stop talking they said you're talking all that mess about you know the bible what are you doing be a doer and not just somebody who knows to how to quote scripture i got obsessed with quoting scripture when i first got saved because i was in a church where they wanted everybody to quote scripture i carried around a pad with me had over a thousand verses written down on it and i could quote all of them chapter and verse by memory wrote perfection and God chastised me for that and made me realize it is better that I would live half of a verse of scripture than quote a thousand verses of scripture do you understand that people quoting a lot of scripture but living nothing they ain't spiritual spiritual is not determined by how long you've been saved spiritual is not determined by how much bible you know spiritual is not determined by how much long you've been in church spiritual is not determined by how you look or your background a spiritual person is not one that's got all those boxes checked a spiritual person is somebody who just wants to love the lord and be everything that god wants them to be that's what spiritual is james said stop talking i i love it i i I gotta believe um i'm not a country music fan y'all can do what y'all gotta do that's not my style. Um, but, but that one song I've been quoting to y'all since we started, because uh, we started in Middleburg, and you know. <sighs> I got to believe some of these people had some Bible in, in them when, when they wrote some songs on every genre of music, whether, whether it's, it's, it's gangster rap, death metal, well, not emo so much. That's just all the devil. But that, that one song I've been telling y'all from the beginning, I, I believe it's inspired by God. Let's get on down to the main attraction. That's a little less talk and a lot more country folk. Stacy Edmund Green. <laughs> Don't let her listen to country music in your house, coach. You just let her know this is my house. I'm the man in here. Make me a sandwich and put on my music. They're like, that's why he's single. <laughs> I got news for you. I can make my own sandwich and play my own music. James was about it. James 2.17. He said, faith without works is dead. 
He said, faith that is by itself, doesn't have any works, is dead. James was in your faith. James was telling a bunch of people, talking. You know you got people in your family, people on your job, talk about Christianity. Talk, 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 talk. Think they know a lot about God, telling you all what they used to do. James would love to find those people and say, look, you ain't showing me nothing. Show me something. James 2.18, he said, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He said, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. He said, you, you, you sitting over there talking about all this faith you got, but I can't see anything. The Bible says that faith has evidence. Faith has evidence. Read the definition for faith in Hebrews. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You can't be talking about something you can't see all the time, but you don't have any evidence. You got to have some evidence. You got to have some works. You got to have some. You, there better be some proof in the pudding. James went a rubber meets the road kind of dude. He's like, where, 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 where is the proof in the pudding? Because I hear a lot of talk, but I don't see anything. That's where America is at right now. We need to find out where your evidence is at. Where is the evidence to the game you talk about? Because James wasn't talking about it. Guess what he was doing? He was being about it. Let's be like that. Our religion, the Bible says, is based on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. James is the leading apostle in the first century. And he didn't just talk about it. He was about it. That's what we need to do. Let's just don't talk about it. Let's be about it. Let's just don't talk about God. Let's be about God. Let's don't just talk about servitude. Let's be about servitude. Let's just don't talk about Bible study. Let's be about Bible study. Let's just don't talk about prayer. Let's be about prayer. Let's just don't talk about evangelism. Let's be about evangelism. Let's don't just talk about transforming the world by the power of God's love. Let's be about transforming this world by the power of God's love. Let's just don't talk about money and, and doing ministry around the world. Let's give some money so we can do ministry around the world. Are you a talker? Are you a doer? Are you just not, your name's Bennett and you ain't in it? If your name's Bennett and you ain't in it, I got good news for you. Jesus said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to get in this thing. And you need to be in it to win it. You need to be in it to win it. You need to get inside Christianity and you need to go all in. Because there's nothing else like it. People thinking they're going to wait till they get older to sell out to God so they can have their fun now. They ain't no fun like serving Jesus. They ain't no fun like knowing when you lay down in bed there's somebody that can hear the thoughts in your head that loves you. There ain't no party like knowing that the God of all creation cares about you even though he knows all the dirt that you ever did. James, I told you he was stoned to death. Listen to how James' life ended and I'm done. Josephus, the early church historian, and many other books tell us, record the death of James, the elder, James the just. He was called by Annas, the high priest, to appear before the Sanhedrin. That was the council of religious Pharisees. And they commanded 
him to proclaim from the top of the temple that Jesus was not the Messiah. This is how James' life ended. They took him, carried him to the top of the temple, said, we're going to kill you, but we'll let you go if you just say Jesus is not the Messiah. Most people would have cowered down to save their life and live to fight another day. But instead, James cried out at the top of his voice, Jesus is the Son of God and the judge of all the world. And they threw him to the ground and piled stones on him. Till a man finally came by and ended his suffering by clubbing him in the head repeatedly until he was dead. James didn't just talk about it. He was about it. And as the man was clubbing him, it was reported by multiple authorities that James was on his knees with rocks bouncing off him, praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know where he got that prayer? His older brother. His older brother that he didn't even believe in when his brother was here. His older brother who taught him about God, but never got to lead him to God. Jesus lived a life in front of James, and James became a Christian and followed Christ to the very end. So what do we need to do? We need to keep loving our family and keep living Christ in front of them. You can't nag somebody into Christ. You got to live a good message in front of them, and if they don't come in your lifetime, lend them to God. And trust God with them. Jesus had to do that with his own family. What else can we take away from today? James, he was skeptical, but he came around. I believe for every skeptic with a Christian praying for them, they're going to come around. What else can we learn? Don't accept less than God's best for your life just because you're new to the faith. You don't have to be saved for 100 years to start serving him. Start serving him now. And last, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Don't just talk about God. Stop learning Bible just so you know more stuff that you can critique people with. And start being who God really called you to be. If you're here and you're saved, this is your time to be who God called you to be. Get about it. James was about it. Read this book this month and learn from a man who knew what he was talking about. Learn from a man who grew up with Jesus. Learn from a man who gave his life to ministry and died in the process. Learn from the Word of God in his book this month. If you're not saved, you don't have to walk an aisle, pray a prayer with me. All you got to do is ask God to save you, and he'll do it. Pray with me. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for James. And the example that he is to us. We call ourselves Christians. God, help us to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be followers of the apostles as you've commanded us to live as Paul lived. To live as James lived in imitation of your son, Jesus. Thank you for being our perfect example. Help us to love you as we should and to love each other as you've commanded us to. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.